Well, we're starting this series that I'm calling DNA, the core of the local church, because what I wanted to do is we've been in the book of Acts and to slow down over verses 38 to 47. This is such an important paragraph that is given to us here as uh, Peter has proclaimed this sermon and there's been this great response and to see then the response Uh, ultimately of what these Christians will do uh, right out of the gate. And so over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to uh, be looking at. Uh, This morning, I want to slow down and talk about baptism for uh, our, our, our time today. And one of the reasons why we need to slow down over it is it is somewhat fascinating to me what a controversial concept baptism has become in the religious world. We just had it read for us. It seems awfully simple, and yet uh, it has all kinds of controversy and questions uh, that surround it. And so what I wanted to do then is is take a minute today and talk about ultimately the meaning of baptism and and its value, why, why it has been given to us, and ultimately what it pictures. I think in, in beginning, it is important to note that I think some of the reasons for the confusion and, and for the controversy is I think a lot of things about baptism have either been misstated, uh, misunderstood, or misrepresented. And, and I think in a lot of ways, in the arguments that are often made and the discussion that is given, I think there is a lot of talking past one another as to what ultimately is intended by baptism. And so uh, it's my hope to try to be very clear about the meaning of baptism and its importance and what it ultimately is. And, and hopefully shed away a lot of the misunderstanding and the miscommunication that often happens in re, in regards to this. When, when you look in Acts chapter 2 and, and as was just read for us in In verse 38, it immediately becomes clear that as the people are asking Peter and the apostles, what should we do? That the answer that Peter is giving is an understanding that these actions are a response of faith. Peter does not just stand up and say, you need to go find a body of water and get thrown in it, and that's going to solve all of your problems. There is faith that is clearly underneath it because the answer that Peter gives is repent and be baptized. Repentance and baptism are flowing from a faith that is required, that these uh, individuals who have listened to Peter's sermon have come to be cut to the heart, and they are understanding their sinful spiritual condition before God. And I think that's certainly borne out with talking about Repentance. Repentance is such an important declaration that's being made that there is going to be a turning of an individual's life away from the world and away from doing what one wants to do, but rather toward God. Turning away from sinful living, sinful decisions, and a dedication to turn one's life to God. And I think that's such an important element that can easily be bypassed in our discussion. 
we cannot say that people who do not love God or do not believe in Jesus or do not have faith but are put into a body of water and are baptized or saved. And I think that's so important to lay out. It is not magic waters and here you go, get in some water and now everything is a-okay. That baptism comes from a response of faith. That baptism is not a sacrament or an idea that baptism alone, all by itself, without heart, without faith, without love of God, is going to save. It is a response that comes from the heart. It is a response that comes from faith. And I think that is such an important beginning point that without faith, these actions would be meaningless. Doing certain things and it not be because we are desiring to respond to the love of God, desiring to submit ourselves to the will of God, that we are desiring to give our lives to God, being put in a body of water doesn't do anything. It would be no different than just taking a bath on a regular basis. There is obviously something inside That is generating this response. Something within us that we are saying, I am going to love God and I am going to obey God. Ultimately, what I think we ought to picture that in one degree or another, if you think about your life, that everybody ultimately goes through a journey of faith. Everybody begins on this pendulum where they are moving in their understanding, this journey, this walk with God toward these responses because everything has to begin with an understanding of our standing before God. Everything has to begin. If we're going to be the people of God and walk with God, it all has to begin with an understanding of a need for salvation. That's why any kind of message where we start proclaiming God, proclaiming Jesus, and underneath it, it is not the expression of you are in sin and need a Savior, is not going to make any sense to anybody. We have to be able to communicate to people that left to ourselves, we are in a sinful state and we are worthy of judgment. That the wrath of God comes against the disobedient and we need to respond to that. And we need a Savior. We need salvation. That has to be our start point. That always has to be the beginning. Otherwise, anything else later doesn't make any sense. It has to begin with my sinful condition. I'm doomed before God. I cannot stand before God because of my own actions and my own decisions. And so that is our start point, which then moves down the journey of faith of when you understand that and you understand that you are in sin, you understand that you need a Savior. The most natural next step is I need to turn to God. I need to turn to God. Since I am in sin and I need a Savior, I need to turn to that Savior. 
I need to stop doing the things that condemned me in my life. The things that got me to this point of standing condemned before God. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to put away those things. In fact, if you've grabbed the bulletin, we're starting to do the leaking of the preaching series and visions of stuff that we're going to do next year. One of the series that I want to do is, is the, that old self. There's in repentance, the putting away of the old self. I don't want to live that life anymore. I don't want to make those decisions anymore. I'm not going to follow that way anymore. I want to follow the Lord. That is putting away the old and moving toward the new. That's what repentance is doing. Is saying, that's my decision. I am deciding for that change to occur. And that's what you see Peter saying as the people are cut to the heart. What should we do? We have crucified the Son of God, the one who has come to restore our relationship to God. What should we do? We need to then see the picture is... We need to turn away from living that kind of life and proclaim now what we are and what we believe. You see, throughout the New Testament, this call for confession. And we are certainly proclaiming our sins before God. It's certainly implied by the people saying, what shall we do? (laughs) We're saying, "Uh uh-oh. But then also along with that, there is a proclamation that every person is making in this journey of faith to say that Jesus is going to be my master. He's going to be my Lord. Now, what's sad about what our world has done today is they have often boiled that down to is just say that. Just say Jesus is my Lord. That is a very meaningless thing. If you don't actually mean that now going forward, he's in charge. That's what that means. If somebody is your Lord and master, then whose will are you following? His. You are openly proclaiming, I'm the servant and he's the master. Not my will, his will. What he wants, I will do. What I want, I will not do. That is what our confession is saying. Believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior, the Lord. What are we saying? It's not just saying, I think Jesus is Lord. To never turn it into that. But I am openly proclaiming, I follow Him. His will, His ways, whatever He says, that's what I'm going to do. That then moves into the understanding of, then what else, what has He called me to do? What has He told me to do? What has He told me to do? What has He told me that needs to be my response? And you see that in, throughout the book of Acts. I look forward to being able to observe those things with you as we go through the book of Acts is to see in this journey of faith that baptism then for the washing away and for the forgiveness of sins. And in thinking about that, I think that there has been a lot of mistakes and a lot of misunderstandings in talking about baptism as a response of faith. I believe 
that one of the things that we have to get across, an important change perhaps even in our own thinking, is to realize that the goal is not to convince people to be baptized. That's not our goal. That's not the goal. That's one of the reasons why a text that is often used is actually valuable here. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. And people stumble at that. What do you mean that he didn't come to proclaim baptism? He didn't send me to baptize, but to, but to proclaim the, the gospel. What do you mean by that, Paul? What's the, what are you getting at? Well, here's what he's getting at. Baptism is a response to the gospel, not the goal of the gospel. Think about what the goal of the gospel is. The goal of the gospel is to get people to have a changed heart so that they will love the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, and with all their mind. And when that heart is then had, that person will do whatever God says. That's where obedience comes from, is that changed heart. The goal of the gospel is for hearts to be changed to love God so that you will obey Him and do whatever He asks you to do. Whatever is required, whatever He says, that's what I will do. That's ultimately the goal of the gospel. Baptism is a response to the gospel. Repentance is a response to the gospel. Confession is a response to the gospel. But the gospel itself is calling people to change your heart and put yourself underneath the rule and the reign of Christ to submit yourself to him. That's what the gospel is calling for people to do. That's why Jesus could say, what is the greatest commandment? What is really the target of the gospel? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the target. And when that heart hits that, then the heart will obey. The heart will do what God has called such a person to do. And that's what I think we have to teach, is that we are teaching people to know God and to love God. And by doing so, that will generate that response. That will generate that response of repentance, confession, baptism, and much more. I think this is especially important in our world today. Because we live in a time and a culture that is very far away from God. Even in my own lifetime, when I was younger, people had a greater awareness and a knowledge of God and Jesus and the Bible. But we live in a time right now where people basically have a zero concept. And probably the concepts that they do have are actually false concepts and not in the scriptures whatsoever. They're actually misleading. It'd be like if you have a puzzle box and they've got all kinds of pieces that actually don't belong in the puzzle. And it is our job to get them to hear the truth of the gospel. And by coming to a knowledge of that truth and understanding what God has ultimately done for them, that will transform the heart that will lead to that response that will lead to a heart that desires to obey God that will cause the person to want to do what God says. Uh, I, I think that's a, important on a lot of levels as, as at the very top of that 
convincing people to be baptized is not the goal. We should not go into any kind of discussion with thinking that's that's my target. But the target would be to see God. To see the glory of Christ. To see what he's done for us. So that the heart is moved to do whatever God says. We shouldn't be pressing people to do something that would not be a response of faith. A response from the love of what Christ has done for them. And I think that's important. And I think that's part of the problem that has existed in the discussions that go past each other. Is that baptism doesn't happen apart from a heart that's responding to God. It doesn't happen apart from loving God. It is not something you just do. It is a response, truly a response of faith. I I do think this is important for another reason. Is that I think that this is often the primary reason why people later in life will question their salvation. Because I think what has happened is they are unable to see that their baptism was a response of faith. And so now they're uncertain. It was just something that they were told to do. It's just something that has to be done. You need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. Without speaking of it being a response of faith, a response from the heart, a response of the love of God. And so now you come later in life and you go, well, I don't know where I am with God. And I think that's one of the dangers is that if we are not keeping baptism in the framework of the scriptures of response of faith, response of love, response of the heart of God, that the goal is not get in the water, but the goal is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And if you truly love the Lord your God with all of your heart, you will do everything that he says. You will respond to everything he says. Then there is that security. Then you have something to hold on to and go, I know I'm good because I responded out of faith. I responded from a heart that desired to serve God. And I think that that's been one of the things that I've seen. If I look at my friends and questions that have come up over time is that so often it's just pressing children get thrown in the water, pressing people get in the water rather than pressing upon. Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart? Do you understand what Christ has done for you? And are you ready to do something about it? Or like these people here in verse 37, what should we do? What should we do? That is the important response. I think because of a number of things, I'll talk about some a few more of those things in a moment. What then the big question comes up. In the general religious world, then, as well, is baptism necessary? Um, I am quoting from one author that I'm going to put on the screen, and I think he fairly represents nearly every kind of book or writing that I typically come across. He said it succinctly enough that it would fit on a screen, and so that's why I'm using him. I'm not picking on him. I just think he's pretty representative of the situation. Here's what he wrote. In regards to this text. So baptism is not a prerequisite for salvation. The repentant thief on the cross was assured of his place in paradise, but was in no position to be baptized. Luke 23. 
The New Testament, however, doesn't recognize any unbaptized believer. Baptism is a necessary sign of obedience and discipleship. We do not need to be baptized to be saved, but if we are saved, then we will get baptized. I'm not sure where you stand. <laughs> I have just... In one line, you said it's necessary. In the next line, you said it's not. In the line before that, you said the New Testament does not recognize any unbaptized believer. That's right. It doesn't. You will not find one. But then turn around and say, but you don't need to do it. This, to me, is part of the reason why there's such confusion and misunderstanding about the topic. Is there is so much say it one way and then turn around and deny the very thing you just said in the very next breath that it leaves all of this confusion. It leaves people not understanding exactly what you're saying. And in one sense, I understand where a lot of these arguments are coming from. To be fair, what a lot of the writers are doing are dealing with a Roman Catholic church point of view about baptism that we need to be aware of where they think, okay, uh, Infants can be baptized and now now they're saved. There's no faith. There's no anything in the within that child. They're just baptized. And this is trying to attack that and say, no, that's not it. It's got to be obedience. It's got to be faith. They're trying to get that. But then at the very next breath are then reversing off of that. And so I think it's important to talk then for a minute about this because I think these kinds of words that, that you see on the screen have caused generations of people to believe that baptism is not necessary. And they'll say it's important, but it's not necessary is often the common phrase. It's something you should do. It's something important, but it is not necessary. And so allow me a minute to take a step back and let me just try to do my best to clean that up as best I can. Number one, if baptism is not necessary, why did Peter even say it? If you look at verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, where we're at in our text, they're asking, what should we do? Why is Peter's answer including baptism if it's not necessary? Why not just say, believe with all of your heart or repent and receive the forgiveness of sins or any number of things he could have said right here? Why does he choose to say that? And if you jump down to verse 41, why does everyone, it says verse 41, so those who received his word, those who accepted what he preached, were baptized. Why did they do that? If it's not necessary, why did they do that? I have never heard a good answer to that. <laughs> to be fair, I've never heard a good answer to that. Why does Peter say it? Why not just boil it down to something even smaller? Why, why bring up baptism at all if baptism is not part of this process? If it's not part of this journey of faith, if it's not necessary for salvation, why say it at all? Just say repentance is the only thing that's left to do, my friends. Just repent of your sins. Why keep going? And why the response that you see? 
I think the undeniable conclusion is, of course, it's necessary. The phrase, something is, it is important but not necessary. I want to challenge that for a minute. And I want you to just think about your life for a minute. Can you think of things that are deemed important but not necessary? Kids, it's really important that you don't run in the street, but it's not necessary. Things that are important are necessary. I I mean, I kind of sat in my office for a minute going, can I think of anything that I was told was important but not necessary? I couldn't. (laughs) I tried. If it was important enough to say that this is important, then underneath it is you need to do it. It's very important, children, to clean your room, but you don't have to. What? If it's important, it's a requirement. The sign says this is important, then do or don't do what it says. If your boss tells you this is important, you don't sit back and go, I don't think that's necessary. They pull you into the office. This is really important for you to do. And you walk out going, I don't think I need to do that. Those two words don't work together in being in opposites. If something is important, it's a requirement. If something's important, it's necessary. But let me, let me, this is the thing that I think is the most important in this discussion of, of baptism being necessary. To me, this is what it all boils down to. If we are a people of faith, if we say, I love the Lord and, and I want to give my life to him because Jesus is going to be my Lord and my master and, and I love him for what he has done. Do I need to do everything that I can to do everything that he says? Is there anything that I can come into the scriptures and say, um, well, I like that one, but not that one. I mean, we're good at that. I mean, <laughs> we don't have to like this command. I don't like that command. But I mean, really be honest. If you are truly someone who loves the Lord your God with all of your heart, are you going to approach anything that God says and say, but I don't need to do that? Or, or to say it in the opposite a little bit stronger, if we are willingly choosing to not obey a command, Can we really fairly say that we are a disciple? To me, this is the heart of the issue. Can I willfully look at any command of God? I don't care which one you want to pick. Any of them. Pick any of them. Whichever one you want. And I will read it right there and I go, you know what? I'm not going to do that. That's an important command, but it's not necessary. We would understand that that's rebellion. You are coming before God and saying, I will only do certain commands that I agree with. A disciple who loves God, who truly seeks after God, who understands what God has done, would never come to the command of God and say, I'm not going to do that. We all raise our hand and say, there's all kinds of commands I'm trying to do, but I am messing up and failing. But you're not going to come to the command of God and say, no, I'm not doing that one. That's not the heart of a disciple. That's not the heart of faith. And ultimately, we don't have faith if we don't submit to the commands of God. That's the essence of faith. Faith has fruit. 
Faith has an outcome. Faith has a response. If we truly have faith in God, then it is going to be a response that I am attempting to do to the best of my ability, whatever I can for God. And that I would never, if I truly have faith, come to God and say, well, I don't want to do this one, or I don't agree with this one, or I don't like this one. There's no command of God. That we can willfully choose to disobey and think we're still a child of God. We just can't come to God like that. We don't get to come to God on our terms and tell Him what we choose to do and not choose to do. I think that's going to be a hard thing in our society. We live in a society right now that says, you decide what laws are right or wrong. You, you do what you want, you do what you seem, see fit. And so we are going to be in a struggle to try to communicate to our culture and to our world. That doesn't work that way with God. It doesn't work that way with the ultimate authority. That God tells us, if I'm Lord, if I'm God, if I made you, then you've got to do what I say, whether you like it or not. I mean, every parent's pulled that line on their kids, right? I mean, we all as kids said we would never tell our kids that when we were parents. And then we all did. We all why, why do I have to? Because I said so. Because that's the deal. And I didn't ask for your opinion. I just asked for you to do it, my child. And that's the essence of faith. Because God said it. And so I'm going to respond to it. What I want to spend the last few minutes talking about in terms of the New Testament, though, is that maybe we would appreciate a little bit more of the beauty of baptism. Is that I think, again, it's sometimes just relegated to just something you do. It's just it's just water. It's just do it. It's, it and we shouldn't do that with with baptism. Not only do we need to underscore its importance, we need to underscore its necessity. We need to underscore that it is a response of faith. It is not just simply dunked in water, but it is something of a heart that desires God. But to see the beauty of why ultimately it is so valued, just those three passages uh, this morning, and then we'll get to the conclusion. Galatians 3, verse 26. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Do you see a beauty right there? Everyone who has been baptized into Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. There's like this picture of identification that's happening. Is that he is... Come to you. It's almost like you're wearing Christ. What an image. You've put him on, some translations say. You've clothed yourself in him. It speaks to relationship, doesn't it? You've been baptized into Christ. You have this relationship with God. You identify with him. And let me just ask the opposite side of that then. Are we clothed with Christ if we're not baptized then? Notice what he said. As many as you were baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourself with Christ. The necessity of the other side of that would be that if I haven't been baptized, I haven't identified with him. I haven't clothed myself with him. I haven't made that connection to him yet. Similarly, in 
Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life or walk in newness of life. I just want you to again notice the wording that's given there. When he says there, if you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death. That we are united with him. We are joining with him. And again, can you say you're united to him if you haven't done the thing that unites you? If you willfully say, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, Paul says there's an important image that's happening. As many of you were baptized, you were buried with him you were joining with him you were baptized into his death and then raised with him through through faith as we'll talk about in just a minute look at colossians chapter 2 and verse 11 in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised you from the dead notice the imagery here your whole self was ruled by the flesh former life it's the way you used to be through how we started. You start with the understanding of your sin condition. You need a Savior. You understand you're doomed before God. That whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Well, how'd that happen? Having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through your faith and the working of God. Was the old self put away if we weren't baptized? Notice he keeps making this identification connection. That there is something beautiful about the concept of baptism. That you are uniting with Christ. The old self is being put away. Sins are being washed away. You are joining yourself to him. And I want us to notice the wording here is very important. Baptism according to Paul is the work of God. Did you see that? He doesn't say that's your work and your doing. He says that's God's doing. Here we are through faith coming to Him. We are coming to Him in faith and God is doing a work. What's the work that He's doing? Putting off that old self. He's cutting it away. You have to love the circumcision imagery because you get a picture of just cutting the sins off. Cutting off that old self. Cutting off that old way of life. A new you is is revealed here. The, the old way is done. That's the, the picture that's being, being given here to us. And I think that's what's, what you even see. If you're still in Acts 2, look at verse 41. Verse 41 again, Acts 2 verse 41. So those who received the word, this, his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added. Added to what or to who? I'd say added to Christ. They were added to Him. 
That's what all of these images are showing. You're being joined to him. You're being connected to him. You're being added to him. You are identifying with him. All of that beauty that is described in, in that kind of imagery. So let me end, end by saying this and trying to find what I hope is the middle ground between confusion of opposing points of view. Baptism alone doesn't say this is not trick people, throw them in the water to die. There you go. You're, you're good to go. Faith's required. You must believe. You must love the Lord your God. You must come to an understanding of your sin condition. And you must be seeking God with with your heart. That's required. It's not just to fly into some water and you're good to go. It is completely a response of faith. But we must understand there's not a command that we can disregard willingly. Just willfully say, I'm not doing that one. There's no command that we can do that to and pretend to think that we're a child of God. We can't. Any command that we would come across and go, you know what, that one's not for me. We're not a disciple. True faith says, I'm going to strive to do that. I may not do it very well. I may be in process. I may be trying. But I'm certainly not coming to God with the closed fist and say, well, I'm not doing that. And I want to point out that I believe this is a critical distinction for us to understand. A lot of times questions come up. Why are there so many churches? What are all the differences? What are all the distinctions? You drive by a million churches everywhere you go along the way. And I want to tell you that I believe for us, this is number one on the list of the most important distinction. This is the most important distinction. That we do not look at baptism and say, that's not something you have to do. That it fits along with saying, repentance, that's not something you have to do. Nobody would say that. Nobody would read Peter's words here and go, well, you don't have to do that. Or confession, you don't need to do that. Or believe, you don't need to do that. Or have faith, you don't need to do that. Why is this one picked out? I do not know. But I sincerely believe that teaching people that we do not need to do something that is clearly commanded should absolutely be deplorable to us. Something that is clearly stated. I'll go back to my starting point. Why did Peter say it? To come along and tell people that you don't have to do should break our hearts. It it should just kill us to think that we would come to any command of God and say, that one don't worry about. No big deal there. The heart of a disciple never comes across toward God like that. That true faith will submit to everything that the Lord has said to do. And this is a, a functional difference, critical difference, an important difference of what we believe the scriptures say and what we proclaim. Finally, I want us just to appreciate and savor the experience of baptism. And if you have been baptized, I hope you're able to go back and appreciate and savor that moment still yet in your mind. That when we are baptized, what we are doing is we are symbolizing the the bearing of our old self, symbolizing the 
getting rid of that old way of living. We are symbolizing that sins of that old life are being put away from us. We are symbolizing this union with Christ and that we are being raised up to live a new life. In fact, that is exactly what you see the Apostle Paul even say is that we are supposed to live lives that reflect what our baptism symbolized. What baptism symbolized was death to the old self, going into that water, it's being buried in there. And those sins and that old way of living, it just died in there. And you come up, and those sins are gone, and that old way of life is gone, and that old way of thinking is gone, and you now have come up, and you now have a new life. That's ultimately what Romans 6 was all about. You know what, you, what that meant when you were baptized, right? Live like that. Live in that life of not the past, but forward with the hope of what God has given to us in giving us this new self and transforming us. Let's go back to that passage and then the, the, the lesson's done. Listen to the hope that's here. Romans 6, verse 4. So hopeful. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. Just talked about that part. But listen to this. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... Old self dead, sins cut off, buried down there symbolized. If we have been united with him in a death like his, hear this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. See the beauty? You have something to hold on to. Something that says... The old way died in that moment. And now I look forward to the day where I'm going to be raised from the dead. As he says, for we know the old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. That's the beauty. You've been set free from sin. You've been raised to live a new life. And that raising is the hope of resurrection to come. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for such beautiful images that You give us, things that we can have that are tangible in our lives to recognize You to be able to respond in faith and to show our submission to you. Lord, we thank you for the images that you give us and that we would see the beauty of what baptism is. Lord, we pray that you'd strike from our hearts any idea that there is just obligation or duty or something you do in baptism, but to, to truly behold the beauty of what is being shown to us through what you've commanded. Lord, I pray that we would live our lives in a way that reflect that baptism. 
that we would live our lives in a way that shows that the old self is dead and that, that we are walking with you. We are walking in newness of life. We are walking with you in faith. We are walking with you with the hope and the knowledge and the expectation of resurrection with you. Lord, thank you for being a forgiving God. Thank you for your son and the sacrifice that he's made so that we could turn from our sins and we could confess you as our God and our Savior, that we could have our sins washed away, that we could walk with you in this life. Thank you for this journey of faith. Thank you for these expressions that you've given us that we can show our faith to you. And Lord, we pray if any in this room have not been baptized yet, we pray, Lord, that you would convict their heart convict their heart in a way to see that this is just another step in the journey of faith that they would walk with you and desire to serve you with all of their heart these things we pray in your son's name and amen in just a moment we are going to sing an invitation song and we invite you to come to Jesus the opportunity to give your life to him and I'm going to do what I said in the very lesson our goal is not for you to be baptized our goal for you is that you would hear what God has done for you that you would hear the great news of Christ and that good news would prick your heart and cause you to want to love the Lord your God and to serve him and follow him and do anything that he says That is your start point. That is the heart that God wants. And with that heart, would you take the journey of faith and believe in him, believe that the son came and died for your sins, that you would then choose to turn away from your sins and dedicate yourself to following the Lord your God with all of your heart, confessing him to be your Lord, your master, your savior, the one who will rule your life, that you will obey with all of your heart to be immersed in water, to be united with Christ, to have your sins washed away, and to enjoy the rest of the journey walking with Him with the hope of resurrection. If we can help you in any way, you can talk to me afterward, you can grab somebody afterward. We would love to help you do that this very day. Won't you come while we stand, while we sing?